Hey there, Trinity Grace. This is Guillermo, or Producer G, as Jacob likes to call me, coming at you with a pod special. This past weekend, we had the privilege of hosting Reverend Matt Beham from Redeemer Presbyterian Church here in San Antonio, as he spoke with us about kids and technology. Matt has worked in youth ministry for 13 years and has recently taken on the position of Associate Pastor of Spiritual Formation at Redeemer. This was part of the Summer Seminar Series here at Trinity Grace, and if you stick around till the end, you just might hear some folks you know ask some really good questions. Hope you all have a great rest of your week, and without any further ado, here's Matt. Yeah, I've been at Redeemer for 13 years now. Um, I have a wife, Haley, who's not here. She's at a birthday dinner tonight. My two kids run around, Graham and Elliot. Elliot's six, and Graham is three. Now he turned three in February. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. And I'm not sure I'm an expert, but I've seen a lot of things in 13 years being in youth ministry. And so we can certainly uh, talk out some of those things that have happened, and and I'll try to teach the best I can on this uh, interesting topic. So hey, let me, uh, let me say a word of prayer, and then uh, we're, we're going to jump in. Lord in heaven, thanks so much for this time together. Lord, this is a, uh, uh, this is a hard topic, talking about technology and, and how we should think about um, cell phone usage and social media and all of these different apps and how to best love our students, our, our children in those things, and especially because it's such a new thing. Um, but Lord, we know that you've seen it coming. We know that there's nothing new under the sun. We know, Lord, that, um, that your wisdom is, uh, is greater than the wisdom of men. And so we pray that you would come and speak to us now and help us to grow and to learn and to become better stewards of the gift of technology, but also um, help us to avoid some of the difficulties, the pitfalls, the dangers of it as well. Help us to till up our children in uh, the, the faith of the Lord and help us to grow them to worship him well. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you could tell even from my prayer that I'm thinking about this oftentimes in light of what are our, how are our kids thinking about social media and how should we help our kids to imbibe social media technology and stuff like that? But I know that there will be many applications for ourselves, right? Uh, and I just want to start us by looking at this passage that I've printed for you on your handouts. This is a little bit of a bare bones handout. I get it. There's not a lot there. Hopefully you have pens and you can write some notes down as I, as I talk. But I wanted to give us, start us with this passage from Isaiah because it is just a reminder of the amazing grace of God. Uh, when we think about technology use, we think about like the plasticity of our brains, right? Like that there's all of these different pathways, neural pathways being created and like it's changing us and that's a little scary for us, right? Like in what, what are all the ways that I'm being changed by the screen time that I'm looking at or my kids are being changed? Like that's a little scary for us. And so it's really important to hear the grace of God before we even jump into this. So let me read this. It's, it's a long passage, but that's okay. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose it and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now, the reason I wanted to look at this passage just briefly for us is if you look at uh, this last verse, why didn't you just read the last verse, Matt? If you look at this last verse, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. So instead of these ugly plants come up beautiful plants, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And what God is saying is that, look, if you plant seeds in the ground, thorn seed, like seeds for thorn bushes, what do you normally get when the water comes on it? Thorns, right? Yeah, like that's kind of duh. It doesn't take a green thumb to recognize that or to understand that, right? If you plant briars, briars will come up. But when God's word comes and waters our hearts, even when there's been some bad habits that have been formed in us, even when our kids maybe are doing or watching or thinking about things that they shouldn't be doing or watching or thinking about, when all of those things start to are planted in our hearts and yet the word of God gets watered on them, what comes up? Redemption, good things. And that's a really good, that's a good word. That's something that's, that we can hold on to and say, okay, even if I've been going the wrong way, even if I've been doing this incorrectly or sinning or whatever, when God's word comes and waters us, we can have hope that something beautiful will come. That's what redemption is. God taking sinful patterns, sinful thoughts, God taking brokenness and making something beautiful come out of it. And so when just whenever we're talking about a difficult topic, it's just really good to like grab hold of that. Grab hold of the grace of God that when the word waters it, good things come. Okay, so as we talk about technology. It's kind of a big thing. What do you hear, just out of curiosity, what do you really want to hear me talk about? I'll, I'll say it into the microphone. What do you really want to hear me talk about? You, yeah, <laughs> thank you so much, Carlisle, for jumping in. You, like, you probably really want to hear me talk about like, what apps your kids should and shouldn't download, right? Just give us the list, right? Give me the like 10 steps so that I can figure out how to do this correctly. And uh, I've saved that for the very end of the talk. So you can just tune out for the first 40 minutes. No, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. But first, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to get into kind of some of the larger threads, some of the larger picture narratives of what's wrong, the dangers of technology, how I can learn how to grow in technology. In fact, I actually need a handout so I can make sure I said this right. Um, (laughs) The dangers of technology, so big threads here. Barriers to health, like how I need to change in the way that I think about technology. Uh, Patterns for putting technology in its proper place. And then finally, we're going to talk about practices. Those are the, that's what you really came for. The practices that we need to know in order to grow and do well uh, in our family. So first, let's talk about some dangers of technology. The first thing we need to do here is to be honest, right? Technology is here to stay. Like if you or I believe that that smartphones were bad for us, then we like really, really, really bad for us. We probably wouldn't have them. Who has a smartphone in their pocket right now? Who has touched it since I've started talking about this? I actually have. So why don't I do that? 
right? Like if we really thought that they were like all evil and all bad, we wouldn't have them. We recognize that God has given us technology to help us do things, right? So in the cultural mandate, the very beginning of Genesis 1, God's like, hey, y'all should go and till the fields and like make food, right? And it's really good that we were able to create tools to help us to do that. Because without tools to help us to till the ground, it would be really hard digging in the dirt with your fingernails. Technology is a, it's powerful. It's helpful to us. And so whenever we're given something new, it's like really good to recognize there's something good to be appreciated here. There's also something to worry about, right? Like it's good that we figured out how to make pointy objects so that we could dig in the dirt. And then we realized we could use that pointy object to stab someone else. Not so good, right? Any technology has its pros and its cons. It's a tool. It's a tool that should be used. But I think with this one, I think with this one, we're feeling like a little bit more cued in to the dangers, aren't we? I remember a Business Insider article, you probably saw this, that talked about how both Bill Gates and Steve Jobs severely limited their children's access to technology, right? Especially when they were in their preteen and teen years, right? When the tech gods of this world see a problem, then we should pay attention. Have y'all watched the movie, uh, The Social Dilemma? Have y'all seen that? If you haven't done this, I can't go into everything, Go on Netflix and watch The Social Dilemma. It's, a really, uh, it's really helpful for how we like just all of these people and all these tech comp- companies are realizing, like, I opened Pandora's box. What did I do? This may be really bad. Um, and so just watch that movie. It's good. Um, but here's a couple of things that, that some of our uh, authors say about this. And I've brought some resources for us that I'll show you in a little bit. Uh, Sherry Turkle says this, technology is not evil. It's powerful. It is you amplified. Tim Chalice says this, while technology can be an idol in and of itself, far more commonly, it serves as an enabler of other idols. In this sense, technology has a secondary function, enhancing the power of an existing idol by strengthening its grip on our heart. Technology becomes a tool of our existing idols. Dana Boyd, the internet mirrors, magnifies, and makes more visible the good, bad, and ugly of everyday life. Right, whatever difficulties we had growing up, I'm gonna put myself in this category barely, whatever difficulty I had growing up, I knew that when I got home, I could at least be safe for a while right? Whatever, if there was a bully, if the social stuff going on in my school was really hard, like you could go home and you could be in an enclave, in a place where you were safe. But it's just not the case anymore. All the drama, all the difficulty, all the bad things follow you because they're right there in your pocket. So it's hard. There's three big areas that I want to talk about when we think about the dangers of social media and technology. The first uh, is that it often creates in us the ability to be emotionally disconnected. Creates in us an ability to be emotionally disconnected. And I say ability as if it's a choice. It's It's more like the technology that we're imbibing creates disconnection emotionally. Not just from other people, but ironically, from ourselves. So when 
adolescents are spending a lot of time on social media, what ends up happening is that is that that time that they're spending hampers them from developing a healthy sense of self. See, as we're growing, adolescents, again, particularly need to experience a healthy sense of separation from other people. We all know, like, our kids, we need friends. We want friends, and friends are good for us. But when we grow up, we also need to say, okay, but, but I am not my friend. This is who I am. I have to recognize that there is a boundary between me and another person. This is what Sherry Turkle says in her book, Alone Together. Uh, kids experience their friendships as both sustaining and constraining. When we're too emotionally connected with everyone else, let's say on social media, then Sherry Turkle calls what we begin to experience in our life as the collaborative self. That is, the thing that I'm experiencing in life is not really real until I've shared it with other people. Have you all kind of heard people talk about that? Like, it's not real unless you took a picture and posted it on on Instagram. You've heard people talk about it like that. It's the same thing that's happening in our relationships. In our relationships, I don't know what I feel about this unless I have a number of people around me who also feel the same way that I do right? It's the ultimate hopping on the bandwagon. It's a hopping on the bandwagon that, that where you're hampered from saying, no, 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 wait a second. I'm a real person. I'm a real person, and I actually have an opinion about this, or at least I think I have an opinion about this. And so what social media does, and as we are developing that sense of self, is instead of, instead of two people who are connected together but separate, there's an overlap right? Our teenagers right now are experiencing, like, teenagers are already codependent. So we call that codependency. They already really need each other to be okay. And what's happening in technology is that need to be okay there is getting multiplied. It's getting multiplied to the next level. Um, so ironically then, ironically then is that, uh, Whenever our kids are, you, and you've all seen this in, the, in, like, in the real life, right? When our kids are in real world situations, communication, this is a quote from a kid, feels threatening, less natural, and less normal. When you're talking to someone face-to-face than online interactions. The very thing that they crave, which is a personal connection with a real person, is actually being hampered because they don't know who they are in order to be in a relationship with another person right? So ironically, ironically, significant relationships always are better when you know who you are. Makes sense. Significant relationships are always better when you know who you are so that you can have a real communication with someone who's different than you. It's hard for that to happen in our, um, in our uber-connected world. So we're disconnected from self. We're also disconnected uh, from, from others. It shouldn't be difficult to recognize that a generation of people who are disconnected from themselves are going to have di- difficulty actually connecting to other people. But it makes perfect sense. The second big uh, category here is, uh, I, I have in your notes, that we have controlled relationships. We have controlled relationships. Here's one student talking about this. Here in the cyber world, I can be popular. I can be powerful. 
I can be a somebody, and yet I do it all at the expense of who I really am. Right? As our communication with other people becomes increasingly mediated, as we are increasingly able to figure out exactly how I'm supposed to interact and communicate with others, I've taken out all of the messiness of what it means to be a human being. Okay, so teenage, the teenage time in your life, I think, I think God had chuckled a little bit about, about it when he created it. It's meant to be just a total mess, I think. Seriously, like it's meant to be kind of messy. It's meant to be like, you, you walk up to a friend and you try to communicate with that friend and your voice cracks, right? And you're trying to figure out who you are in this like community of people and you say stupid things. And, those, and then you have to wrestle with the implications for saying those stupid things. Like that's just life. And as you are like two, you know, very rough people, rough-edged people, and come bumping up against each other, you begin to learn what it means to be a human being and to have normal conversations with people. But if every way that we relate, or if the primary way that we relate to people is online, what can you do before you send that text or before you type that like thing? What do you do? How many of you do this? I do this all the time. Every single thing that you say to other people gets edited, doesn't it? You're already thinking through, like, what are the implications of everything that I'm saying here? What do I need to say so that I can look really good in this situation? How do I need to thread the needle on this relationship, right? You're doing this all the time. And the reality is, is that's not how the real world works. Okay, you can maybe present a perfect image of yourself online. And then what happens when you actually get into real live conversations with people? It becomes incredibly anxiety producing. So I was reading a story in one of these books. I forget uh, which book it was. And the author was recounting when a, uh, a student, uh, I think it was like a, high, like a college student, was trying to like talk to her friend inside. And so she goes to the door. She was supposed, they were supposed to meet up and she starts texting her friend and her friend was doing something else. And she wasn't, she was on Netflix or whatever. And this person just like stood outside for a long period of time waiting for her friend to come out. Now, ironically, the roommate was inside the dorm room and all she needed to do was knock on the door. And the roommate finally came out and like, what are you doing here? Why didn't you knock on the door? And she was like, well, I didn't like, I didn't want to disturb you. I didn't want to like I didn't want to like get all up in your in your business. And the roommate, what are you doing? But this is like so how we do life now. And this is so how our teenagers are doing life now. I don't want to rub shoulders with people if it's going to make you feel awkward, if I'm not control, if I don't know who's going to come to the door, I'm not going to answer the phone, right? Our teenagers are like, I'm not answering the phone. Are you kidding me? Like who talks to people on the phone? Right? Okay, I'm just talking about, I have a lot of things to say, unfortunately. Um, it's just good. It's just good to help your self, because a lot of us are like this, right? I'm not answering that. I'm not answering the door. I'm going to hide. <laughs> I'm going to hide behind the couch when someone comes and knocks on my door. It's just really good to allow yourself to be put in situations where you feel uncomfortable. And unfortunately, Social media technology is making it harder and harder for us to do that. That's just the world. That's just real world. Okay, so we have a controlled experience. Um, and I think this is just to, just to 
connect this to the Bible. I think this is kind of what's happening when we're hiding in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden. They, they want relationship with each other, but they're ashamed, right? And so what technology is promising us is that you can still be in relationship, but you can also hide yourself, right? And that's just not how real relationship works. Always real relationship is not figuring out how to put more fig leaves on. It's always coming out into the light more and more. It's just harder to do that in a technology driven, technologically driven world. So disconnected, uh, controlled relationships. And this kind of like, um, this gets to this idea of uh, disembodied, right? Technology is exacerbating this idea that I can be present without really being present, that I'm here without really being here, right? I can navigate my shame by cultivating my persona on Instagram. I can feel like I'm productive and healthy by multitasking, but never really deeply engaging in anything. I can participate in online drama to soothe my boredom and almost real me acting out life in an almost real world, right? This cuts to the idea of FOMO. Y'all know what FOMO means, probably. We're of that generation that most of us know what FOMO means, fear of missing out, right? Everyone's looking for the next best thing. Uh, we, can't, we can't actually respond to RSVPs until the very last minute, just in case something better is going to come up. Because I need to be able to be anywhere at any given time. I need, and, and that's just part of our disem, it's a disembodied understanding. It's not being able to engage and enter in and commit to something. Seneca realizes, Seneca, he's like a Roman, uh, Roman bro back in the Roman times. Uh, the actual dates of Seneca are totally escaping me right now. He said this, uh, if you are everywhere, then you are nowhere. He kind of gets this idea. And so we now have technology that helps us to be able to do that. But if you're everywhere, where are you? Nowhere. You're nowhere. Here's what a 12th grader wrote for an essay. In the disembodied world of personalized screen technologies, there's no need to interrupt the immediacy of the self. Often we feel justified in our irritation or impatience at any small inconvenience. Okay, it's no wonder, so I have to go here. Uh, It's no wonder that our kids struggle with pornography in droves. I can't keep up with all the research here. Uh, But a couple of highlights from one study put out by Focus on the Family last year. Uh, This was, I guess, two years ago. 90% of boys, 70% of girls admit to having seen it. Uh, That's under the age of 18. 64% of people aged 13 to 24, 64%, 13 to 24 view it weekly. 49% first viewed it by the age of 13. I think the average first exposure is 10. Um, So, yeah, this is bad news. This is bad news. But but why? Why is that happening? Well, I can like I can explore life without any risk to myself. So I can type in whatever I want online and see what it, and see what comes up without ever really going there. It's not true. It's not true. Um but there you go. Let me pause. I know that we're supposed to ask questions at the end, but uh, I need a break from talking, and there's my coffee. So does anyone have any questions, and I can repeat the question to the microphone? This pause is just for me. I have a question, or I have a comment, I guess. I think, um, like, as a parent of a teenager, my oldest is 13, um, like, 
we're also as adults in a generation that is bombarded with social media and FOMO and whatever. So if you as a parent are frustrated with um, like trying to have, you know, intimate conversations with people versus I don't want to get hurt even as an adult, then how do you, how do you also address that with your child when you're like, I don't want to do it either? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The, I suppose I should kind of repeat the question, and hopefully I'm 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 saying this correctly. Like, how do you help your child to navigate this world that you're also navigating? And and the answer is, the good news is is that you can say I'm also navigating this world with you. And I know that's not a great answer right now, but there is something really beautiful about that. I mean, one of the hopes that we have as like we're talking about this in a community. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to accomplish something different right, than what the world is doing, which is in small communities of people who care about each other. We're trying to figure out how we can love one another and love our kids and push back against the waves of culture right, in this enclave that's hard to do, but it's good that we're kind of all in this boat together. And, you, and, I, and I would, yeah. Let, let's just jump right into the next one. I think it kind of starts answering that question. Okay, let's broad brushstrokes. We have trouble moving our family in a healthy direction when it comes to technology. Here's some of the things that we can think about. One is, the first one, I have to change. <laughs> it requires me to change. This, uh, this is the first and hardest, I think. If I'm going to have a conversation about healthy practices with my kids, I've got to put my money where my mouth is, right? No change will be lasting if I can't abide by it. And I get it. Like, Haley, my wife and I were tired. We've got this three-year-old who is, whose name is Graham. We call him Graham Bam. Um, I think I said that already because he just, he just breaks things all the time. And we're just like, bro, please go to bed so that I can turn on Netflix and just veg out for a while, you know? And, uh, but if, if we can't begin to push back against some of that desire, all of these dif- desires in our hearts to, like, mediate, to control our relationships, to run away, to be disembodied, to not engage. Like if we can't start pushing back against that in our own hearts, then our kids are not going to be able to push back against that in their hearts either. Then it's going to be harder and harder for them to follow us as we fight that good fight. And so just a really good thought about that, and this is probably, this. you can kind of take this to the bank for everything, um, is that my daughter, my daughter right now, uh, she knows what some of my sin patterns are because I have to tell her about them. Elliot, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was impatient with you. And so now she just cuts me off at the pass. She's like, Daddy, you're being impatient with me again. <laughs> you know? And and like, I think that's good for us. I think that's good for us. I'm not saying I know exactly what to do when it comes to parenting. I'm not. I do think it's good for us to help our kids, like give them a peek into the things that we have trouble with as well. Like, it's not just do what I do or do what I say, not what I do. It's, I am also struggling with some of these things. I'm learning how to put my phone down. Kids, please forgive me. I should not have looked at my phone at the dinner table. That was wrong. You know, like we, we're the, so it's not like, it's not like I've got this figured out. Now do what I do. It's, I don't have this figured out, but we're going to, we're working on this together as a family, right? That's, that's a kind of a big thought, number one. Uh, the second kind of thing that we have to do, and this really connects to this, is we wrongly believe that information is formation. So what I mean by that is that we can't just have 
all of the right information about what we should do with our technology. And then if we just feed that into our kids, then therefore they will do that. Like that's just not how the world works. The world works, like human beings are not just heads, right? We're just not just thinking thinker, thinkers with big heads on a stick. We also do things with our hands. We, we like embody habits that turn into virtues, that turns and reaps a character over a long period of time. And we also are emotional beings wrestling with what it means to like have all of these feelings. And so, and so when we begin to approach these questions with ourselves, with our kids, just a really helpful reminder, let's not approach them just like, let me give you all the information and then we'll be good. Like, like my dad's and God, I love my dad so much. He's a great father. I, uh, his, his sex talk to me, sorry, kids was, not below the neck and not above the knees. That was that. We were done, right? The information exchange there was like, okay, like I guess I got that, you know? Not super helpful. Not super helpful at the end of the day, you know? Like there is a lot more that has to go into this than just simple information exchange if we want to have results that are going to be different. It's a way of interacting with, oh, that's a TV. Like, we need to talk about that TV show. That was weird. Let's talk about that. Let's turn it off for a second. Oh, you know what? Like, we need to actually, like, take, and we're going to talk about this later. We need to take a Sabbath. Like, we're all just going to put our phones away, and we are not going to do this for, like, today or on this car trip or whatever. Okay. We wrongly believe that information is formation. Uh, the, another thing that's just hard we just live in this world. I, I have a autonomy and consumerism. That's just kind of like the Christian's way of putting an ism there to make you be scared. Um, really, we just live in a world. We just live in a world where I, like me, the person, has all, like it's all about my rights. It's all about who I am and what I want. Our kids are swimming in the currents of this autonomy. Everything they hear from this world is telling them that they don't belong to anyone. Their choices are their own. Their bodies are their own. Everything is theirs. And the reality is, as Christians, we realize, no, it's not true. That's actually not true at all. That we all were bought with a price. We all belong to someone. And whether you're a Christian or not, right, we belong to God in some way just because he created us. We're made in his image. And so I never can conceive of myself as an autonomous individual. No, I have, I have a series of responsibilities and relationships with a number of people in my life that I am beholden to others. I belong to other people, and particularly, especially because of Jesus, I belong to Christ. And so just when we're thinking about these conversations, a kid will say, well, dad, mom, I'm entitled. This is, this is mine. You say, no, no, sweetie. This is ours. And ultimately, this phone is God's. Well, dad, mom, like all my other friends, they get to, they get to like have the TV in their room and they get private time with their technology. And you say, sweetie, <laughs> sweetie, sweetie, you don't get private time. You don't get private time with your stuff, right? You get accountability with me. So whenever your kid, and we did, this is Rachel smiling because we did this at Redeemer. So whenever your kids say, mom, dad, I want privacy, you say no accountability. So privacy, 
Yeah, there you go. You got it. Right? This is why the church is so important. Right? They may have the idea that they belong to God, like in their heads. This goes back to information. But until it begins to be lived out in a series of relationships with real people that you're in real community with, that is not going to really be, like that information won't start forming them. And so this is why we're doing this. Because we want you to all and me and all of us to grow in this formation of, okay, we're a community. We belong to one another. My sins are not my personal sins or my private sins. They affect everyone else around me. And so I have a responsibility here. And it's the same with social media. It's the same with technology. We're beholden to one another. Um, okay, the last thing that we just have to get over uh, is this idea, it's not my kid. My kid won't do that. <laughs> Are we over that already? All right, good. We don't have to talk about that. No, I, just as a, you know, I have a funny story. Um, like the, the parental hubris thing, it's, it's never... It, <sighs> It's never a question of if, but it's always a question of when something goes wrong, right? It's not a question of if something's going to go wrong. It's a question of when something goes wrong. And, like, that's just, that's, we just have to be okay with that. We're just going to have to embrace that and die to that desire that my kid is going to be that one kid who breaks the the mold. (laughs) My kid's going to be that one kid who doesn't struggle with sin in their life. I'm going to be, I'm going to have that one, or maybe, (laughs) Yeah. You get it. I don't have to go too much into that. But you got to die to that. So four big, um, what, are, what did I call this? Four barriers to health. What's my time like, Novak? Great. great. Four patterns for technology in its proper place is our next one. Okay. So most people don't know that the Amish community doesn't shun all technology. Peter Crouch, uh, or excuse me, Andy Crouch, not Peter Crouch. That's a really good soccer player. <laughs> Andy Crouch in his book, uh, The TechWise Family. Uh, I'm sorry about that. You can edit this, right? Um, Andy Crouch in his book, The TechWise uh, Family, talks about the Amish community a lot. And we often think that the Amish, they just like shun all technology, you know? Um, but actually, they, they, uh, they do use some kind of modern technology. They eat mo- uh, genetically modified corn. Uh, kind of a recent invention. Many Amish have diesel generators. They have diesel generators, which they fill air tanks with that they then run appliances uh, from. And so what, what basically what Andy Crouch is saying is that what happens in an a- Amish community is not that they're just like, oh, like all technology bad. What happens is the elders, whenever something new comes out, they take that thing and they give it to some members of the community to kind of test out for a while. And as they test that thing out, they then kind of like give a recommendation. We should or we should not use this in our community. And, and the idea here is really simple. Be Amish. No, you don't have to be an Amish person. Now, the idea is simple is that, is that they're kind of testing things out with the big question, is this going to be good for our community? Like, is having this thing going to be good for us? Is it going to further like the mission of God in the world and who we're called to be and like what we want for our families and our goals? And um, and I think that's like like a super helpful thing. And he gives us a number of categories to help us think. Okay, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to just like give somebody a smartphone. Would you like to test our smartphone? And you tell us if we should have one or not. We're not going to do that. But he, but he does give us a couple of big categories for thinking about, like, how can we use these things in ways that can be helpful to the goals of the Christian community? 
Here's number one. Technology in its proper, is in its proper place. It's helpful to the Christian community when it helps us to bond with real people who we've been given to love. It's out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance, like celebrities whom we'll never meet. Right? Our kids today are spending a lot of time connected to celebrities online. Um, <laughs> Not just our kids, right? Like we all have, like we all have this. We have the celebrities that we follow. I'm a big Phil Mickelson follower. I just really think his stuff is pretty funny, hitting bombs and attacking pins. Um, but like we've got that. I get it. But how do we how do we move in a way that's more important that we connect with real people who we really have in our circle of friends that like that we want to love and we want to care about, right? Um, random online relationships might feel safe, especially, this goes back to our kids, especially to our kids. But oftentimes, like, having these kind of online relationships are more of a vaccine to real community than they are helpful to real community. And so, so technology in its proper place needs to help us to deepen in relationships that we have in the real world. That's, that's kind of simple. There you go. Um, technology is in its proper place when it helps us uh, start great conversations. It's out of place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another, right? There's, there's hardly a meal that goes by today and we're out of the restaurant and uh, maybe it's us, maybe it's another family and everyone is like on their phones, right? We've seen this. We've probably, we maybe even been a part of this before. We don't know what to talk about anymore so we just kind of like pull up our phones and look. It's out of its place when it does that. Right, um, a uh, a good way though, a good way that we can use uh, our technology is maybe like you you like read a great article, and you want to like you're you're hanging out with your friends, and you pull up that article and you share it or you talk about it. Like, does the technology is this technology helping me to connect with others to share ideas, or is it hurting that? Technology is in its proper place, third one, when it helps us acquire skill and mastery of domains um, in, like, human culture. So, for instance, it, technology is in a bad place when all we're doing is, like, flipping through Candy Crush. Sorry, Candy Crush lovers out there. I know it turns your brain off or whatever. I get it. I'm sorry. But when we're just kind of like swiping our fingers at things and like changing, you know, playing those on, like, so I have a penchant for like game, like games. And man, it is a lot easier to go and defeat the dragon online than it is in real life. <laughs> okay. There's not real dragons in the world. But how do I, how do I like move away? How do I move away from these kind of mindless consumption of technology and move, use technology in a good way to like maybe look up a recipe so that I can cook? Or maybe it can help me to like, I love like, uh, I used to play guitar when I was in high school and I would always go online and look up guitar tabs. Or you don't know what guitar tabs are? Like ways that you can like learn how to play a song. Like there are good ways that we can use technology to help us to grow in our mastery of this world. God has given us like the ability to make culture. Everything that is like worth doing in this world takes like blood, sweat, and tears. Like it just does. Everything that is worth doing in this world takes blood, sweat, and tears. Um, you can recognize something beautiful. Like, are there any people in here who have spent countless hours on like an instrument? Anybody? Yeah, the people who have spent 
like hours upon hours upon hours learning your instrument, you're the people who actually recognize the beauty when someone plays that instrument really, really well in a way that I don't actually recognize. If you've worked on your craft for hours and hours, you recognize beauty and glory in that craft, right? And what God has given to us, the human race, to do is to engage our whole bodies and our whole lives with work that's hard but does something beautiful for for humanity. And we often short-circuit that when we spend our time just swiping through stuff, right? Technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we're part of and responsible for stewarding. So uh, it's out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful natural world with all of our senses. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. And it's just this question, right? Like, are we... um, are we spending some of the best and most formative time of our, our kids spending their best and most formative time actually engaging the world that God has given them to engage? Or are they spent just disengaging from the world that God has given them? Uh, I think a really fun, something happening. What is happening to me? Oh, <laughs> people are looking through me. <laughs> I was teaching, I think I was teaching this class, uh, something like this in Colorado a couple of years ago. And, um, and everyone just stopped for a moment and we're like, look, were you there? <laughs> and everyone was like looking out the window and there was this, I was like, what is happening? There's this humongous elk just like right there outside the window. And uh, so we needed to take a time out for a little bit and do that. Um, okay. I think, I, think, I think you got my point about technology being out of its proper place. Let's, let's go to some practices. This is what you really want to hear me talk about. Um, and I think, I think I can make this decently brief. The, the first practice that I think is really important, uh, the hearth of the home is what it says, I think, on your handout. Structure your home so that meaningful things are in the center of it, music and art rather than screens. Um, people have this inbuilt desire to be near the kitchen. I don't know what it is. We can have this beautiful furniture in our living rooms, but everyone just congregates towards the kitchen, right? Like we were made to just go where the food is. I don't, I don't know what that says about us. But like we were made to go to like this, this centerpiece of the house where relationships happen because people are just normally in there. And so when you're like thinking about like, how do I set up my home? I want you to think about like, how do I put things that, Im- that are like important for art and music and beauty at the center and not maybe screens at the center. The other thing in just the way that you organize your home, um, don't, let, don't let your kids put screens in their rooms. I don't think it's a good idea. I, think, I don't think you should do it. I think if you can help it, you probably shouldn't have a screen in your room too, right? I think something like 85% of us, the last thing that we do at night and the first thing we do in the morning are look at our screens. Um, and just as a practice, whoa, sorry. As a practice, I think it's good for us to say, you know what, I'm just gonna put this, look, we're gonna take them away, we're gonna put them somewhere else, and we're just gonna like go to bed and wake up in the morning without having that blip of dopamine right in our heads. Uh, a second practice that I think would be a good idea is a technology Sabbath. Um, take a break. Take a break from screens. All of them. Um, like at least one hour a day when you're awake. So definitely at dinner, it's like, okay, it's dinner time. We're not doing that. We're putting them away. Everything gets turned off. All the phones go somewhere else. A day a week? Now that's kind of scary and hard. That might be hard and scary. But, it, but uh, that's probably a good idea. A week a year? 
maybe. We have to remember that Sabbath or rest is not leisure time. And, and we fall into this trap, right? Like, oh man, I've got time off. I'm gonna go on a vacation. And then you get home from that vacation and you are dead tired and you're like, wow, that was not restful. Have you experienced this? I've definitely experienced this. Because leisure time and rest time are different things. And it turns out that God has given us this like rest time as a time, the Sabbath particularly, and as a time to like worship him, enjoy community from one another, and like, like maybe actually get some sleep and just put stuff away. Just put stuff away. So a Sabbath time. Take a Sabbath time. Third, cars are for talking. Um, so this is the one time, and you know this, parents, like this is the one time where you've got your teenagers and they can't get away, <laughs> right? Like they can't, they can't escape you. Teenagers, you know about this, right? And they're like, hey, how was your day? And you're like, oh, don't talk to me. And then, and then you like realize, oh, I, I can talk to my parents. I can tell them about, I'm talking, I'm like looking right at these people. <laughs> like this is the time that, this is the time that you have with them. So when you're in the car, like, talk, sing. So when, when we were growing up, we always uh, put on the Les Mis soundtrack. We, like, loved Les Mis growing up. So we always, like, played or Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff, so Phantom of the Opera or whatever. Like, this was, that was fun. And those memories are so, you know, those are, those are great memories that I have. Those are things that we could do together as a family. If you're going on a long trip, go for the, like, go for the, um, the audiobook thing. You know, like you don't have to just be talking all the time. Do an audiobook. Then you can at least listen to it together. That's actually a good use of technology, right? And you can talk about it and you can listen to a story and it'd be beautiful. Fourth, um, you need to block some technology. You need to block access. Um, you need to be able to filter technology. Again, this is what you came here for. Um, remember, that phone that, you've gave, that you gave your kids, that phone that's yours, it's, it's, it's not just yours. It belongs to God, Right? belongs to God, first and foremost. So I need to recognize that and change things accordingly. Um, You should probably, probably take technology away from your kids at night. I think that would be a good idea. Just take it away. You need to have some sort of blocker on your home internet. So like normally uh, networks come with an open DNS system or something like that, things that block um, bad stuff from getting in. There are, and I'm not super technologically savvy here, but I think I I kind of know a couple of things about this. Um, You can look at uh, Disney's Circle or Circle Go. There are a number of other apps that can block uh, harmful content. Um, And you probably also need to be thinking about like if you have, if, if, and this, is, this actually might be really good for adults too. Whenever you give your child a phone, set that phone up with parental controls on it. So like the way that you do that is you set it up as a child's phone. I went through a period where I let Haley set up my phone as a child's phone. She loved it. She could like, she basically could turn everything off in like, a, like certain time periods of the day. And it was like fantastic you know? And like, I didn't know the code, so I couldn't change it or download any app. Haley, can I download Instagram? (laughs) Like, and that's good. And so as you're kind of thinking about like, how do I block harmful content? Setting this, setting phones up as a child's phone is the way to do it. Make sure you disable the app store. 
because in the app store, you can download lots of wonderful apps that will just get you straight around that content blocker. Um, so you've got to kill the app store. It's also really easy once you've set it, once you've, once you have the app store, uh, to like your kid, they, kids do this all the time. They will download Instagram. Then they will delete Instagram whenever you pick up their phone. Like that's right. Like they're smarter than you. They're just smarter than you. Um, and so just, yeah, make sure you have all of their passwords. Whenever you set up their, their phone, with your child parental lock, don't make it your passcode on your phone because they already know that password, right? Um, so yes, all of that, all of that things. Um, okay, social media, let's talk about apps for a second. Uh, they're changing all the time. The top two out there for kids are what? Do you all know? Oh man, there's probably a couple more now. There's, t- there's two of them that are the most important. Insta. Yeah, TikTok. That's like really risen in prominence recently. I was going to say ch- Snapchat. There's probably three. Um, yeah. So the, the reality is, is you just need to know that even now Instagram, so before, a couple of years ago, Instagram did not have a, the disappearing kind of like messaging system. Now it does. So you can send a message or a direct message to people. And the second it gets seen, it disappears. They have that feature. That was the feature that we really, that parents were really scared of when it came to Snapchat. Um, that's why we called it the sexting app because you like take the picture and then it's gone, right? It's now available on Instagram too, just FYI. Um, and so just as you think about these, as you think about these uh, apps, I, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good idea to have built in some pretty solid trust between you and your child before you start to kind of like talk about downloading these kind of apps. Um, I just think it's a really good idea. I'm, I am, like, there's a lot of different people's opinions out here. I am of the opinion that you should start letting, like you are growing your child up like from the moment they're born so that you can launch them into the real world, right? Like that's the, that's the goal. The goal is you're not going to be their You're going to be their parent forever, but you're not going to have the parental-child relationship forever, right? It's going to change. Hopefully, it'll change into, like, friends. That's a good thing. It's an exciting thing when you're, like, start becoming friends with your parents. They'll always have something to say to you. Uh, But when you're my age, you can just, ah, whatever, right? But your whole point is, is, is growing them up so that you can launch them into the real world. And so I'm of the opinion that we should be thinking about as a family, how do we take good, solid, slow, and steady steps towards giving them more and more freedom? Um, I don't think that it's a wise decision to just kind of say like, nothing, 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 nothing. Okay, you're 18, go and have some fun. Because why? It's not if there's going to be a problem or a mistake or a stupid decision, it's when. And so when you're with them at your house and you're monitoring and you're helping them think through things, then you can have these conversations with them. And you have these conversations knowing that you would probably fall into the same temptation if you were them, knowing that you struggle in a lot of ways just like they do, and then you're coming with it, yes, as a parent, yes, with authority, but also as someone who can walk them through it and help them to think about like What's a healthy way that we can interact here? Um, like, yeah. At the end of the day, you're not going to be able to like block all the bad stuff. You're just not. Here's a really good thing. Rules work even when they're broken. 
Rules work even with, the point of the rules, yeah, sure, is to restrain evil. It, if there's a rule, it's like a good thing if you don't break it. But you put rules in place, you have standards as a family, you have ways of relating as a family, so that when that rule are, is broken, you actually have something that you can now, okay, we, need to, we, we can talk about this, right? We can talk about this together. A broken rule actually should bring some objective guilt. A, a kid, a, your child, should feel bad. That's a good thing. Because then that will lead you to have a conversation with your child and say, oh, okay, like, like you were deceptive. Let's talk about that. Is that okay? No. And then you're, ready to, then you're launching. Then you're launching into a parental conversation where you're helping them pastor them uh, and love them into maturity. Okay. I, just, I got a couple of resources, and I think I'm done. I, I could pray, and then you can ask some questions. I uh, really like this book, TechWise Family, by Andy Crouch, not Peter Crouch. Uh, my TechWise life was written by his daughter. So this is actually really interesting. So he's like, this is the practices that we did as a family together. And his daughter's like, this is where I loved these practices. This is where like I would modify them a little bit. But in general, she's like very thankful for those. So that, these are really interesting to read together. Um, I, uh, if you want kind of like bigger picture stuff, Tim Chalice, the next story is very accessible, very helpful to think about. Um, 12 ways your phone is changing you. Also interesting. Yeah. I've got another one here, Screens and Teens. I've only read like half of it, um, and it was like a couple of years ago. So <laughs> that's why I'm not like, I think it's good. I think it's good. But this first four certainly are really good ones to pick up. Let me say a prayer, and then you can ask me some questions. I'll try to do my best to answer them. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your love for us. And Lord, I, uh, I know this is a, a daunting topic, and I know we're all uh, strugglers along the way. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us and uh, remind us that, um, that your grace is sufficient for us, for even in our weakness and our struggles and our sins, Lord, you meet us with your redemption. You've taken the brokenness that we have and uh, changed it into something beautiful. We pray that for our children. We pray that, Lord, you would help to show them uh, the beauty of real life relationship and a true community. And we pray that that would uh, so mold their hearts more than any online world ever could. Uh, and Lord, we know that uh, because we long to see you face to face and have our true community with you when you return, Lord Jesus. And so we pray for that day. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks, people. Oh, look, a microphone has been set up for us. So, um, kind of believing that Christians should be disruptors of a lot of secular culture, but also drivers in building kind of good and beautiful culture. Mm. Are there any areas of technology that you found, particularly with your students, you're like, guys, this is, be proactively working and engaging in these areas. There's lots of areas, I'm like, shut down, shut down, shut down, but right. there are areas that I want to be like, hey, you know, here, go, go here, build here, look here. I don't know if there's so like. found. Yeah, ask, ask me one more time. <laughs> so, because I want my, my, myself, but also my kids to be disrupting secular culture, but building positive, godly culture, mm-hmm. and I know technology is going to be an integral part of that. Are there areas that you found with your students where they're like, hey, these areas of technology are really helping 
in the Christian life, in the Christian walk, yeah, in community. Yeah. I know that's that's sometimes harder to find, which is why I'm asking. I don't have the answer on that. I'm no, I really love it. Am. So I, I can think of at least one, and while I'm talking, I could maybe think of another one. I, I absolutely love it when our students make uh, videos to share with each other. Like, I just think it's so fun. So we, you know, in, in youth ministry, like, you, you collect all these pictures from from life, from life together. And then at the end of the semester, I mean, I have, I have, I do it. We have other, you, you know, youth workers, but also students who are engaged in that process of like putting these videos together and like doing all the editing. And then you get to like see this beautiful, like, picture diary of like what you've done that whole year. I think that's awesome. I, I mean, I, I, I do love the way that like our kids care about, uh, yeah, I think their video editing skills are just phenomenal, but care about editing pictures and like sharing them with each other. I think there's some like really beautiful things that they can do with that. Um, it's, that's not all bad, but uh, I, I don't know if that answers your question that well, but thanks. This is, it's really ominous to like have each person slowly walk over to the microphone. Okay, I'll just keep it short. How old do you think before you should let your child have a phone? Oh, fun. So the, <laughs> that's why we came. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's this, there's this lady, of course, I'm forgetting her name right now, and she's from All Saints in Austin, and she kind of started this movement called Wait Till Eighth. Um, and, uh, and I think there's some wisdom in that. Uh, yeah. If I'm, if I'm going to shoot out a number, that's probably the thing that we're going to be heading towards. Now, there are other, like, if you can get, and they're selling them these days, right? Like brick phones, cheap phones, like family phones. Like, I think that's great. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of you have to like, your coaches are terrible and they don't tell you when the practice is going to be over. And like, you just need them to be able to text you and be like, hey, we're done. You know what I mean? So if, they're, if you can do stuff like that, that's great. I have a good friend named John Parrott. He's the resource director for RYM. And he has a device that's connected to his smartphone. It's a, uh, but it's like, it's a brick, it's basically like a shell. And so the second he gets home, he puts his iPhone up and Bluetooth then connects with his this like old phone that he has that just can like call people and text people and that's all that he has on it and he, I think that's like a super cool idea too because it helps him then just to be like okay I'm like I am now done with all this other junk that I have to do during the day and I can but I can be available if it's like an emergency or something like that I don't even know what it's called I'm called There you go. It's a Oh man, like most of them. Yeah. Like 95%. Yeah. Yeah, you're swimming against the culture for sure if you're going to wait that long. You're definitely doing that. But you're swimming against the culture anyways. <laughs> so, I know you're going to ask a question. Just like the like this is the Christian life. I mean, we're we are fighting, we're like we're helping our kids manage disappointment all the time. Like, that's called bearing your cross, right? Like, hey, kid, I know you don't want to do this necessarily because I don't always want to do this, but I have to bear my cross too. There are lots of things that I can't do and won't do because Jesus is better. And this is one of those things. I think you sort of already answered my question a little bit. Um, One of my concerns is that... when you said the, like, nothing, 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 okay, here, that's kind of the path we're on. Yeah. Um, and 
I think right now it's okay at nine and seven. Like, that's cool. But, um, like, we don't even do video games or anything like that. So I feel like sometimes when my kids meet with other kids, they're, like, they're from two different worlds. Like, yeah. do you... And just your opinion on socially, um, should I be loosening the reins? That's a great question. <laughs> on that. Like, is that going to have a really big social impact that could maybe even not allow them to be a good influence on other kids? Yeah. It's like when I, you know, we, we weren't allowed to have Coke in the house. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so whenever I went over to my friend's house, oh man, it was like Coke pyramids. Like seriously, like up until 6 a.m. in the morning playing GoldenEye on the N64 creating Coca-Cola pyramids. Um, and yeah, that, it's a great... <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah, we just, yeah, oh man, we were down in the... It's so bad for me. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think that everyone is... Nav- we're always navigating this tension of like, I want to in the world, and, but not of the world, right? Like that's the tension that you're talking about. And we're navigating this like, I... I need to enter into the culture where I should, and then, but sometimes I just need to kind of like exit the culture. And every family is going to do that slightly differently. I do think that recognizing that this stuff is here to stay, just on talking about phones and stuff like that, means that, that I personally believe that you should have some sort of plan of like, how do we like take these small baby steps towards this? And, and then, and then we just, because it's good to be able to talk about these things. Here's the deal. Like I was talking to a ninth grade boy the other day and he was, I was like, what's the, like the biggest problem that you're facing right now in, in your life? And, uh, and it was, it was kind of sad. He's like the, the pictures that my friends text me, um, all the time. All the time. It's not even like, and I know that's like scary and it's like, that's criminal. I like, that's like actually criminal, right? And, um, and so that, that, that just made you think I'm never getting them a phone ever, right? But the reality is, is that, is that we have to have a plan to help tell our kids, oh, like you see this thing. I want to be the first person to help you navigate like what to do with that. So you see it, you exit out, you come talk to me, right? This is the kind of the bad, good pictures, bad pictures thing. You see it, you exit out, you come talk to me. Like you want to be the expert, you know? And I do think that the dangerous waters of navigating this is like you're never, they're going to jump in the river at some point. Yeah. And sometimes you got to have the talk after and then you just, you slowly but surely do that. And then you also do the like Jesus is better thing. Saying sometimes we're we're just going to be different than our friends, you know, and that's and that's good. That's good for us. Um, I know that didn't help answer your question that much. So for me, when I was growing up as a whippersnapper in my teenager years, uh, my problem is not so much social media as much as. I became extremely addicted to such thing as video games. Yeah. And that was extremely damaging to my relationships with my parents, for instance. So how do you prevent such addictions from taking root? And um, how do you break them if you see that in your own life or if you see it in some in your child's life? Yeah, good question. Um, and I suppose the answer would be different if I was talking to parents or to the teenager, him or herself, you know? Um, and so if I'm, if I'm talking to parents, um, I, th- I think 
it's just such a, it's, this is complicated. But in some ways it's simple. It's, hey, parents, like, you have to, like, do the hard thing here and just deal with the crying. Just say, no, like, we're not going to do this. We're going to limit this amount of time. And then you deal with the anger and the frustration. Like, this is what we're often doing is that we, we want to give in. We do this all the time, especially with toddlers, right? I want to give in because you're making, you're making me frustrated. I'm getting flustered. I'm feeling anxious. So I'm going to give you that thing that you want. But what am I doing when I do that? I'm slowly but surely creating a habit in this child that's he, thinking particularly of Graham, is going to do that more, right? And so swallowing the hard pill at first, I think is more important over the, for the, for the health of that child over the long term, if I'm answering that to a, a child, uh, a parent. Um, and so, yeah, so the regulation, the turning it off. Um, for just to answer it for you, particularly, man, I'm so glad that, as a, that you're not a young whippersnapper anymore. I'm so glad that you saw this in yourself. Like, we're all seeing this. Yeah. Man, like, that's good. Maybe you just needed to be more challenged in life, you know? And that's good. Like, we're, we all hopefully are weaning ourselves off of some of the things that are destructive for us. And so praise God for that. But also catching it after you've said yes so many times. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. And couching that and that and I think that's a great point. So how do we roll it back once it's been once we've kind of rolled it out and we're like, "Oh, this was a bad idea. What was I thinking?" And uh and I think that's when you just really lean into saying, "Look, daughter, son, I I um I think I made a mistake and I'm sorry." And Please forgive me, but we're going to have to like roll this back now. I don't want to, you know, and then you get the anger and the frustration and stuff. And, and uh, that's where you just lean into humility and say, look, I just really want you to walk along this path with me. And I know you're going to be upset with me, but I can handle that. That's a lot of this is like that emotional health thing, like where you're like, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety and anger and frustration for you, but I know, I know that I'm not destroying the relationship with you with you. I know that this is better for our relationship. I know it. And so you hold on to that promise and you absorb the anxiety, the difficulty. Yeah. Hi, Bob. Hey, about me, him. What's going on? Um, Bob so, was in our youth ministry for woo-hoo! years and years and years and years and years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, as someone who I know, when I was in your youth group, you told me to get off of my phone all the time. As you tell everyone, it's good. What is your favorite way to tell, especially people in the youth group, to get off of their phones? Oh, that's awesome. Um, That's coming from a... Yeah, that's so beautiful. I always... Well, you know me, Bob. I like to make it a joke, you know? So, I'll always... um, so looking, <laughs> we're really having this conversation, looking over their shoulder and being like, oh, did she really say that? You know what I mean? Like doing that, um, you know, like hitting it out of their hand as long as it doesn't hit the ground, right? Like in ways that are kind of fantastical and ridiculous, that's the best way to get kids to stop. Or like, it, this is kind of like when someone says a bad word around me in the youth ministry, I'm like, what did that, I've never heard that word before. What does that mean? That's how I handle things. <laughs> yeah. 
Carlisle, I'm sure you can ask and answer your own question, but I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, yeah, doing it in, in ministry and then doing it as a dad is two very different things. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> specifically speaking to the dads in here, when is the right time to transition from phone in pocket to phone on belt clip? <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't my question, but I'm silently judging everyone with a belt clip on right now. Schools more and more are encouraging technology, and it's a good, like you said, it's a good tool. It's a very yeah. sharp, you know, it's like a, a, a power saw. It's good. You can build things with it, but you also cut off your arm with it. So yeah. schools that are now encouraging more and more technology use, and I'm thinking, well, how are my kids going to succeed in school if I hopefully wait till 8th or wait till 9th mm-hmm. or 12th? Uh, for technology, what have you seen, especially during your years in youth ministry? What have you seen, uh, maybe last five years or so, where kids have done really well, who've also come from homes where parents have very deliberately slowed the invasion of technology into their life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think you know, I read a study not too long ago about you're about a third of a letter grade worse off if you do online. Um, like if you're if you're interacting with the material just on a screen. So like just if like if you have a if you have the textbook in front of you and you're reading that or you have the textbook on a screen. So now I'm talking this is not answering your question, but that's okay, I'll get to you. Like this is kind of the big picture thing. It's like not as helpful for us to do like online stuff. And you probably all realized that during COVID. Like if we didn't know this before, right? Like so we what we we at our at our school or at our church, we did a uh, study hall. So we just had all of the kids like come in and do schoolwork like on, in September during COVID. And even when they were supposed to be in class, they were like not in class at all. Um, anyways, I, I think it's I think it's tough. I think it's a problem. Um, and so now, how do I answer your how do I answer your question? Is your question like? I th- I think that your kid, even if they are like not given a phone, they're just going to figure it out. It's going to be super intuitive. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, maybe some specifics you've seen on how someone's done it really well. If you've seen somebody do it really well. Um, I yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I can think of any specifics. I wish I could answer that. I do just I do feel like, man, you put a kid, even a kid that doesn't know technology that well, in front of a screen, and they just they just get it. You know, I just don't think it's going to hamper them that much. And I wish I could. Sorry if I could give you more. I have an example. Yeah. My Yeah. Everything you said, they didn't let them have it at night. They were just very intentional with it. And to me, it was such a, a cool thing to see college kids mm-hmm. not glued to their Yeah, I, I'm a little, yeah. I think, thanks, Sheree. That's helpful. I'm a little bit of a Luddite here, and I, which means that I'm, yeah, not big into the, especially in learning environments, not big into social or into, into technology being a big part of learning envi- environments. Even like writing out notes is better for memory than like, typing out notes. There's like a lot of, so I'm just talking kind of big picture 
things here. And yet at the same time, I just think that your kid is going to be able to navigate a technological world. They really are. They're just going to be able to navigate it in a way that's also going to uh, hybridize, you know, they're going to be able to use it and then realize when they don't need to use it. Realize that, oh, multitasking is actually just no tasking, <laughs> you know. So I, thanks, Carl. I, yeah. I have a question too. Um, so you mentioned, well, actually I have several, but I'll just gonna stay with one. I can't even okay. answer one good question. I just say so, what I want to say. So, so you said to, to to take the phones away from the kids, but when you do that, you create a void, right? And what do you do with that void? Because they will have you have that free time. So yeah, how do you fill that void with what? Yeah. So that's sorry. Going outside and kicking the soccer ball, maybe. And it's it's the boredom thing. Like, oh, Dad, I'm bored, right? Yeah, yeah, I, and uh, yes, it's definitely harder. Yeah, it's harder before it's easier, right? Um, and maybe, yeah. Good cop, bad cop. Give it to him. Give him the phones. Yeah. What do you got? Well, I mean, we're in the same boat as you guys, of course, and one of the most helpful things is just like getting them in person and friends Like, it is hard. You know, we don't live in, like, the communities where your friends live down the street all the time, and it's going to take more work on our part to put a face-to-face with people. But I do think that's a big part of it. And even, like, the, you know, are they going to be able to keep up like their teachers are going to be emailing them. Like, what do we do about that stuff? It's like there are ways. It's just going to take a lot more work on our mm-hmm. part as parents. Like, it means that we're going to have to like set up accounts on the family computer for their stuff, and it's going to um, require us to give up time on the computer if that's like the only one that can be used. But um, I, I just think that it can be done. There are good things. It's just honestly going to be a lot more work. It's not convenient. It's not convenient. But it's life-giving. And you're all choosing your battles, you know. You're trying, yeah, it's just not convenient. Most most good things are not convenient, right? Um, Yeah, so we're all choosing our battles. But yeah, thanks for that. Man. All right. Um, I've got a question on the implementation on some of these rules and boundaries that you and we've kind of talked about here in the room. Um, I grew up in a house that was really strict with screens, 6 p.m. on Sunday to 6 p.m. on Friday, no screens allowed. It was really, really easy to get around those rules. Yeah. 6 p.m. on, wait, 6 p.m. on Sunday? Until 6 p.m. on Friday. Friday. No No TV. This was a little bit before smartphones. It was like no TV or Xbox, right? Yeah. So, but I, I always found a way to get around those rules. Um, Tell you know, us how you did it. Well, <laughs> hey, earmuffs. <laughs> uh, it was just really easy. So my question is, um, when we're implementing these uh, boundaries that we've talked about, you know, phones away from the dinner table or outside of the room, how do you do that in a way that doesn't breed deceitfulness, mm-hmm. resentfulness, and then when the child gets older and goes to college, open rebellion? Yeah, Wow. Um, I think that's a great question. I, I feel like the cold turkey thing is probably, I don't, you know, I don't know how you, how you process the way you grew up or whatever. There's probably like, it's, 
cold turkey is kind of hard, right? Like total detox on screen is kind of hard, especially, yeah. So I'm not a big fan of that necessarily. Um, and I do, but I, I, so I think that there's some going to be like, yeah, like we're going to do, yeah, we're going to do movie night tonight, or we're just going to like go outside of a routine and do something really fun. And this, you know, like, and it might in, in, involve screens together. I think that's totally fine and probably good things to kind of implement. That's kind of my thoughts. Um, at the same time of saying, yeah, kids are just going to get around your rules. You know, it's going to happen. Bob, you never got around your parents' rules, but the rest of y'all, you know, I mean, I think we can all remember a time where we, I think we can all remember patterns in our lives where we like totally got around the rules. Um, the presence of the parents in that case is going, it needs to be more like the way that I think, the way that God thinks about rules versus the way that kind of like the like a, a super hyper like kind of like religious fundamentalist thinks about rules. What do I mean by that? Well, God, God, the main reason for rules is for God to say, I want you to flourish. I want you to flourish. And I think parents should always be figuring out how to incarnate that reality of like, I really want you to flourish. And this is why we're doing this for you. And I think if it's, if it's super stridently strict, and uh, then I think that that really often does work against you. And I, I, again, I don't, but, and, and I, that's like a, that's a soft skill. I mean, that's like a grace skill that we can't exactly like enumerate precisely. But I really believe in that, that, that grace-filled skill of just being like, look, this is for your benefit and it's because we love you. And, and you can even, I know you're going to get around the world sometimes. <laughs> I know, I don't want that for you. Um, but yeah, I think, good question. Um, so this is kind of more of a comment than a question, yeah. but so you were kind of talking about how like you were saying your your kids get around that like you think like my kid is going to be the only one without sin. So there's also just this kind of trust that you have to build with your kid because if you're just going to be like no you can't you can't do this you can't do this taking it all away your kid's going to be like oh they don't trust me and they're yeah. not going to I feel like there's a certain kind of respect that you have for each other when your kid knows that you trust them. So they're like, oh, well, I want to respect them if they trust me. But if they're like, well, they're not going to trust me anyways, mm. I'm not going to do that. So you have to just show them that you have trust for them and build that up with them before just taking everything away from them, I think. I think that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I think you're always moving towards this. Yeah, a trusting relationship. Yeah. Thanks. Because I feel like I've taken a lot of your time. These are great questions. I don't know where we are, but leave it. Sorry. Any more questions? Going once. Thanks for being here, Matt. It's fun. Appreciate it. Thank you.